Well, good morning. I think everybody should be awake. Roselle got up here, and whether you wanted to or not, he was going to wake you up, make sure you're paying attention and getting involved. Uh, did a great job. Actually, I don't know where, where'd you go? There you are. I, everyone sang louder today. Did you notice that? What's that? I noticed that. Did you? So maybe we should, you know, you should get some chants going more often. You know, Roselle talked about last Sunday, uh, we to the Oklahoma City Thunder-Denver Nuggets game, and while I love all things and teams Colorado, uh, the one team that I don't cheer for is the Nuggets because I have been a very long-time Thunder fan. Um, my brothers, my dad, they all have season tickets. They all live in Oklahoma City, and so um, I, I, my family and I, we've been following uh, for a long time, long before Russell Westbrook ever played a game. Uh, for the Thunder or wore one of those jerseys. So he, has, he had tied the record. He was potentially going to break the, most, the record for the most triple doubles uh, in a single season. He had already uh, surpassed the, the needed numbers um, to average a triple double, if, if basketball is your thing and you know what that means, um, for the season. It's a big deal. Um, he's breaking a 50-year-old record uh, that no one has ever even come close to. Uh, and he broke it last Sunday officially, and so we got to go to the game, and uh, I actually texted my dad and my brothers. We walked into the uh, Pepsi Center because, um, you know, I'm, I've been to a lot of Nuggets games. I've been to a lot of Thunder games, uh, and every, you know, arena has its own unique vibe, and we walked in, and I texted my dad and my brothers. I'm like, I know I'm in Denver, but this feels like a, Nug- a Thunder home game. I mean, it was crazy how much Thunder gear there was despite it being a Nuggets home game, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of cheering. Uh, we certainly helped with that. And while I do love Denver, I certainly was cheering for the Thunder last week. And uh, so it was a great game. Um, but we want to welcome you this morning. I'm excited that you're here. I hope that you're excited. We know Roselle's excited. Uh, so I hope he got you excited to be here this morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. Uh, and we want to welcome you this Easter morning. Now, We are actually in a third part of a four-part sermon series called The Gospel of God. Um, Now, if you weren't here for the previous two weeks, uh, no need to worry because we're going to catch you right up and and, uh, you won't have missed out on anything, at least uh, for the understanding of today. Um, This idea, the the gospel of God, you know, the word gospel uh, is something that especially Christians love to throw around. It's something that we like to use a lot. Um, And it may be something that even pop culture at times will adopt. Um, The gospel um, comes directly out of the Greek. Uh, Your New Testament, the part of your Bible that was written after Jesus, um, was written originally in Greek. And the word gospel literally in its most literal sense means good news. Now, more specifically, it really means good news as a cry of victory. And so uh, if your nation, uh, if your kingdom was out at war and your army was successful in battle, uh, the army would send back a messenger to the kingdom to ride into the city gates and to proclaim the gospel, the good news of victory. That's literally what the nuance of the word means. And so Jesus and his early followers and the writers of the New Testament adopted this word that normally meant good news, we have defeated our enemy, we are victorious. They took that word and started using it in the context of who Jesus was, what he had done, the life he had lived, and then ultimately what he had accomplished on the cross three days after that we're here to celebrate today. And so the word gospel literally means good news. What it doesn't mean is 
good advice. Those are two very different things. Maybe both important, but they're very, very different. Um, and so when we say good news versus good advice, uh, for example, like here's some good advice if you're in school. You should study. That's good advice. All right, here's some good news. All right, you got an A. Or maybe for some of you when you're in school, like good news was you passed, right? That's what was, that was the good news. Um, and so, so good news can benefit, can impact, influence, improve your life, but good advice can. Good news has the, the potential to transform or change your life. You know, it's good advice to say you should get more sleep. That's, that's good advice for all of us. It's good news when your wife says, hey, I know this was a long week for you. Why don't you sleep in on Saturday? I'll take care of the kids. That's good news. That's life-altering, right? Amen? Yes. All right. Um, good advice is you should eat healthy. Good news is you're cancer-free. You see the difference? And so when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about good advice. I hope you get some good advice today. I hope anytime you go to church, whether it's here or another one, you get some good advice that can be practical and it can improve your life. But what we're really talking about is, is a reality that can transform or change your life. And so today, um, we're talking about the gospel, the news, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished, what he has done. And today, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the victory of God. If you, when you walked in this morning, you were handed something that we call a worship guide. It had that logo on the front of it. And on the inside, there's a schedule of this four-part series and what we're talking about. And you'll see that today our focus is on the resurrection of Jesus and the victory of God. So uh, I'm going to invite all of you to open up your Bibles um, to John chapter 20. Now, maybe you walked in with a Bible. You're welcome to use yours. Uh, if you didn't, there's some in the seats next to you. Uh, or if you would prefer, and I imagine most of you would, I'd say open up the Bible app on your phone or tablet because that'll make it much quicker and you don't have to like be like, oh man, let me find the table of contents and I don't know where John is and it just makes it a lot faster. Uh, also, if you open up the Bible app, if you'll click the menu and then after you click menu, click live events. And then you're actually going to see Element Church because it'll geolocate you and it knows that you're closest to us. You can click live events. You can click life, uh, excuse me, uh, click Element Church. It'll pull our church up and all of our scriptures and our points for today will be right there on your phone. You don't even have to go through the table of contents and flip around. It will take you step by step exactly through what we're going to read and talk about today. So um, feel free. And if you don't already have it, download the Bible app. Uh, it's in any app store, whether you're on uh, an Apple or Android device. So we're going to be in John chapter 20, and we'll start in verse 1. And if you've got a Bible open, you'll notice that the heading says, at least in mine, it says, the resurrection. And so it says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter, that's kind of the leader of Jesus' disciples and followers, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out and with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, 
I love this part, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, here's why I love that part. So I told you to open up to the Gospel of John, and that's because John, the disciple, the apostle, um, is the one who authored this. John, as an author, never refers to himself in the third person. So he never, the, so, so John, the disciple, is never named in this because he just, I, I, out of respect or whatever, uh, chooses not to, to talk about himself in the third person. He's much more humble because he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. Very humble. <laughs> and in addition to his humility, he tells us, Mary came and told Peter and that disciple Jesus really loved, uh, that someone has stolen Jesus' body or it's missing, so we ran to the tomb. And then he adds this detail. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That is not a necessary detail. That changes nothing about the story. I just love that he's like, and I can run faster than Peter. So, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. At least he's honest enough now to say he's scared to go inside a tomb, right? Because he's like, oh, I looked, but I couldn't go in. Uh, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as, they, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So we get this picture of Mary, uh, who is also a follower of Jesus, who has come on what we would understand as Sunday morning. So Jesus was crucified on Friday, um, buried Friday night, and no one checked on him on Saturday because it was the Jewish Sabbath. And, and the Jewish Sabbath uh, was a day of rest. You didn't do any work. And so uh, they just kind of let Jesus stay in there. He had been wrapped up in the traditional linen cloths. And so Mary is going to come back to anoint him with oils and perfumes, which is standard first century practice um, for a burial. And so when she arrives on Sunday morning, the, the giant stone has been moved and his body is missing. So Simon Peter and John, the other disciple, they run to look and there they find the burial cloths that Jesus had been wrapped in, lying folded on the bed where he would have been laying so let's read just a little bit more and i want to point a few things out for you this morning let's jump to verse 11 but mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept so i i skipped verse 10 then the disciples went back to their home so they have left mary stays but mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stood up to look into the tomb she saw two angels in white Sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was him, Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am sending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. 
Now, here's what one of the details that I want to point out to you today. That there are two ways of seeing to believe. One is the most obvious that we think about, and that's the way that Mary um, met, saw Jesus, and she believed. So Mary, who is sitting there weeping, assuming that someone has stolen the body, Jesus, she sees him but doesn't recognize him because her last memory of Jesus is him hanging on a cross. Of, of a man hanging on a cross post being lashed 39 times. So in, in first century Roman tradition, um, this was a very Roman punishment to do, to, to lash someone with a, what they called a cat of nine tails. It was a whip that had nine endings. On, on each ending of the leather, nine leather straps, they would tie rock or bone or hooks or glass um, to, to maximize damage. And it was understood um, that between 40 or 41 lashes um, would kill a person. But it wasn't designed to kill, so they would give 39 to do as worse as they could without actually killing someone. And so Jesus had received that punishment and then was crucified. The Bible talks about even uh, that, that Jesus was so unrecognizable that for a passerby, it might be hard to tell whether he was human or beast after what he had endured. That was Mary's last impression. That's the last thing she had in her mind. And here's Jesus in the garden and she sees him but there's no way it could be him because she knows what was in her mind. Those images are still burned inside for her, but it's when he says her name. It was when he said Mary that it clicked for her and she realized who he was. And so her response is she runs back to um, the rest of the disciples and she says, we read there at the end, I have seen the Lord. And that's the most obvious way of seeing but there's another way of seeing as well. The way that Peter and John saw. If we jump back to that first section that we had read, um, after John, at least being honest enough to say he was a little too spooked out to go inside a tomb, uh, in verse 8 it said, Then Simon Peter came following him, a little slow, coming to catch up, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciples, so now he's got the courage to go in, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. And he didn't see Jesus. Jesus didn't call out his name. He didn't, he didn't have a conversation with Jesus, but it says that he saw and believed. I had an illustration of how this works in real world this week. Um, my wife texts me, I think, I can't remember, it was Tuesday or Thursday, because I just remember I was in Littleton when I got the text. And uh, it said that uh, your son's window's broken, right? You always know it's bad when it's like, oh, when your son, uh, right? You know how parents do that? Like, your, your son's window's broken. I'm like, okay, well, well, you know, he says he doesn't know how. And so I'm like, all right, we'll, we'll deal with it when I get home. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it now. So I come home, I'm talking to my oldest, he's nine, Beckett. And uh, asking him, like, you know, and he's like, I have no idea how this happened. But I know how it could have. <laughs> right? So he's got this little basketball goal. 
We got them for Christmas. It's like, it's small, but it's like real uh, plexiglass backboard. We bolted to his wall, and so he's always, you know, he's trying to be Air Jordan in his bedroom. And uh, so he had a theory of how it could have happened, you know, in theory, uh, that, you know, it could have been a basketball, it could have been an elbow after a missed dunk or an and one, you know how those work. And, uh, and so he had this theory about how a window could get cracked, even though he didn't really know. And so I, I said, oh, I see. Now, what did I mean by that? I didn't actually see it occur. I didn't see the window get broken. I don't actually know which possible theory is correct or who's responsible, but I understand. So when I said, oh, I see, it wasn't that, oh, I have, I have a hidden camera. That, that's not a bad idea, but I don't have, you know, I wasn't meaning, I, I have a hidden camera in your room. I know it all. I saw it all. It means I have enough evidence to understand what's going on here. That's, that's what John and Peter are experiencing. They didn't see Jesus. He wasn't standing there before them. But they saw and believed. And so there are two ways of seeing to believe. One of them is seeing with your physical eyes, one that I wish we could all experience, and then one in seeing with your heart and your mind and understanding what took place. And I think it's sit here this morning and we talk about the resurrection and we talk about uh, the life of Jesus and he's been transformed he is new so new Mary didn't recognize him until she heard him call her name wouldn't we all like to see wouldn't we all like to see with our eyes wouldn't that make it easier but maybe what God has granted to you and I today is not the sight of Mary but the side of Peter and John. Maybe we don't see Jesus' physical body today. The Bible says one day we will. Maybe we don't see it today, but maybe we see something else. That we see evidence. That we see uh, what has taken place. And we see how it is influenced and changed and shaped. Maybe someone we love, someone we know, someone around us, how it's changed and shaped a particular culture, society, we see its effects and we can see, maybe without seeing, and believe. Another interesting detail that I think is worth mentioning, not only does John give us some strange details in who's fast and who's slow, but he gives us some other strange details that seem a little repetitive and maybe not necessary unless we start to think a little bigger. We've already read it, I think, twice now, but we'll read it one more time, and it's verses uh, 6 and 7, or 5 five and 6, 7. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, yes, John, you've already told us that, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Seems a little spurious to me. Like You could just say the burial clothes were there. So something happened, or whoever stole the body unwrapped him first. I mean, But he wants to make extra point that his readers understand that not only were the burial clothes taken off, but they had been folded. 
And they were sitting there where Jesus had been laying and that Jesus' face cloth had been taken off, folded, and set in another place. Here's what I think John is doing here. I think John is trying to paint a contrast from a story that comes out of John chapter 11. Now, as a church, we read this story. It's been a number of months. Um, So I'll quickly summarize for you. That way I can refresh your memory or maybe you weren't here. Uh, In John chapter 11, Jesus hears that one of his best friends, a man named Lazarus, is very, very sick. Lazarus dies before Jesus ever comes to see him. And matter of fact, by the time Jesus shows up, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. uh, Jesus begins to have a discussion with Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, They're quite upset that their brother has died, but that Jesus, the man they know has the power to heal, they've seen Jesus heal, didn't show up on time. He could have stopped this. He didn't show up. So Jesus begins to comfort these women, um, talking about to them, understanding and empathizing with their pain. Uh, Even himself cries as these sisters are mourning and then Jesus walks up to the tomb and in chapter John chapter 11 in verse starting in verse 43 it says this when he had said these things so to Mary and Martha and to 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 God the Father in heaven he had just prayed out loud it said this when he had said these things he cried out with a loud voice Lazarus come out the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I think John's repeated details about what he saw with the resurrection of Lazarus and what he saw with the resurrection of Jesus, he's trying to to contrast these two ideas. Lazarus was resurrected from the dead but he still had limitations. Jesus had to tell them, unbind him and let him go. He had been resuscitated, but he still had limitations. And poor Lazarus is going to have to die again one day anyways. Right? What's worse than dying once? Probably dying twice. So Lazarus gets a second chance, but he's not here with us anymore. So at some point... uh, He's going to die again, but there's limitations on Lazarus. And I think John wants to show us that what has happened with Jesus is not like what we've seen before. What's happened with Jesus is not like what Jesus has done before. This one is different. Jesus didn't just do to himself what he had once done to Lazarus. This is something in an entirely different category Because Jesus is not bound. Jesus does not need to be set free. In that moment, as John, Jesus will eventually appear to Peter and John, but at this moment, they look, they see, they believe. And they believe something. Maybe even if in that moment they couldn't explain it, something powerful has happened. Here's what one of the later New Testament writers would say about what has happened. 1 Corinthians is one of the 
earlier letters that we have, one of the earlier documents of the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, virtually the whole chapter is about the resurrection of Jesus and its implications for you and I today. And here's what it says towards the end of that chapter in verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. So maybe we could think Lazarus and Jesus. When that which will eventually expire... That which will eventually die puts on what won't die, what won't expire. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Something different has happened. Lazarus got a second chance. But the only thing that happened was the countdown timer got reset. But it's still counting down. Yes, he had the opportunity to get back up. But he was still bound. And in Paul, in this discussion in 1 Corinthians 15 of the resurrection says that something different has happened with Jesus' resurrection. Not only is He unbound, is He free, but through the resurrection of Jesus, we too receive victory. We too can find freedom. That death, the one thing you and I, everyone in this room will never escape, that death, the one thing that puts all of us On an equal playing field. It does not matter where you come from. It does not matter where you're going. It does not matter how many or you have to get there. The one thing that will level everyone in this room and level the playing field is death. And Paul says, in what Jesus did, he has removed the victory of death. He has removed the sting of death. That Jesus has done something new. That while death used to level the playing field, now Jesus levels that for us. Now death doesn't get the final say for you and I. Jesus rose free and unbounded so that he could provide victory and freedom and he could unbind you and I. Will you pray with me?